Amen. Thank you, Kevin. The, uh, the book of Ephesians is where you'll find our text today, if you'd like to turn back there. I'll meet you there in a few minutes. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Last week we began to talk about identity, which we, we very basically defined as a person's sense of self and self-worth. Uh, now, I know that there's more to it than that, uh, but, but broadly speaking, I do think that definition is one that's agreeable to believers of God and followers of Jesus, and also to those in our world who are not God believers or Jesus followers. Uh, identity is our, our sense of self and self-worth. From there, though, though we can agree on that with our world, from there, the, the God world and uh, let's say the non-God world uh, begin to disagree with one another about identity. And one primary disagreement has to do with its source. Uh, those who do not believe in God or follow Jesus, the, the non-God world, let's say, maintains that persons are able to determine their own identity. Uh, that we are able ourselves to determine our own sense of worth and value. Uh, last Sunday morning, we said that that has happened in our American culture in two main ways. Uh, for generations, most people rather adopted the identity that, that some group of people outside themselves had, whether intentionally or not, placed upon them. I gave my grandfather as an example of that. He did what he felt he had to do for the sake of those around him. Um, most in more recent generations, however, have determined their identities based on their own preferences and feelings and desires, basically taking their identity in whatever makes them feel good, whatever seems right to them at that, that moment. Uh, there are pluses and minuses to both of those approaches. However, the weakness of both is that they rely entirely on human discernment and wisdom. Um, now, I don't know about you, but even at my very best, <laughs> even, even in Christ and even under the influence of his spirit, even after three cups of coffee, okay, my discernment and judgment winds up being wrong often enough that it would just not be sensible or wise to trust my own judgment to determine something as significant as my identity. My senses, my perceptions, my, my feelings and interpretations wind up being wrong multiple times a day, easily. And realizing that gives me enough pause to wonder, is there a better way to determine something as important as identity? And it turns out that there is. Uh, we said last week that that way, the, the way of those who affirm the reality of God, is to take his word about our identity. Since he's the one who made us in the first place. If, if you can be convinced... That something as intricate as a human being could not have crawled out of some primordial swamp somewhere, okay? 
If you can be convinced that at least some intelligent power had to be behind the making of a person, then, then maybe we ought to take to heart what that creator God has to say about our sense of self and our sense of worth. And he does have something to say about human identity. He comments on it in several places in his word, actually. But we looked last Sunday at one place in particular. It's the creation account itself, Genesis 1. And there we heard God say that you are, that I am, that all humans are, first of all, made by him in his own image and likeness. Second, because he made us, we are of great value to him. Third, because we are the only element of his creation that he made in his image, we are ranked above the rest of creation. Fourth, we are either male or female. God says that several times in the creation account and beyond. Fifth, God made us to flourish and grow and develop and relate to one another and to lead the rest of his creation. And sixth, God said that we and the rest of this world he made, we are very good. That's who God says we are, which is the basis of our sense of self and worth. So, in a world like ours, in a world of people who are struggling with depression and suicide and wonderings about who they are and if they're valuable and why they exist, this is great, great news, you see. Here are the answers to those questions. Simply because we are human beings, we are inherently special and tremendously valuable to the God who made us. Which means that all of what our culture sees as negative and even devaluing about persons, none of that matters. None of that has any foundation in God. Those around us might critique us in all sorts of ways. To them, you know, we're too short, we're too tall, we're too thin, we're too fat, we're too young. To be worth anything? We're too old to be worth anything? To them, we are unwanted because we're not pretty enough, we're not smart enough, we're not athletic enough, we're not artistic enough. We struggle in some way, so they say we're weird, we're wacko, we're less than whatever standard our society sets. And so we're told that we're not worth much. But God says none of that is so. We don't have to believe the nonsense society tries to sell because society didn't make us. God made us and we are tremendously valuable to him. How valuable are we to him? We are so valuable to God that we are worth the life of his one and only son. Now I know that we have heard that over and over and over again, that Jesus died for you, Jesus died for me. But would you, would you try to hear that maybe in a new way today? God, the one who made us, offered his own son's life for your life and for my life. That is how valuable we are to God. So, of course, the next question is, but why did he have to do that? Why did Jesus have to die so that we could live? And the answer to that question takes us to another more unfortunate part of our identity, of who we are. 
which we have to own sooner or later if we're going to be honest with ourselves about ourselves and if we're ever going to get anywhere with God. (laughs) And that is we are fundamentally broken because of sin. God made humanity, as we said, in his image. But part of what that means is that we have a free will. We have the ability to choose the roads that we take in life. And in that very same Eden where God made us, our forebears chose to do something other than what God said to do. And that one seemingly insignificant act of rebellion and disobedience began a series of events in our world that has touched all of us right here today in the very deepest parts in one way or another. When they said to God, you know, in spite of what you say, I'm going to eat this. That act of disobedience, it was like they made a snowball and threw it down a hill. And as it rolled, it picked up more and more and more snow, and it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and now affects everything in its path. It affects all of us and every part of us in one way or another. You can read the whole story, you know, in Genesis 3, but the sum of it is this. Although God didn't make us to be, we are now all born with this self-serving attitude that if it's left to its own devices, will eventually kill us and it will harm all those around us. Inward curved hearts, that's what sin did to us. It turned our attention, it turned our affections inward and it has made us the most important thing to us. You see, where God created us to be naturally concerned with the good of others and his pleasure and good, now the concern for our own satisfaction is our highest priority. Our primary thoughts now are about what we want, what pleases me, what benefits me, what exalts me, what promotes me. That's what we're naturally inclined to pursue That is not the nature God created us with, but that is the nature sin and all its effects has caused us to have. Ever since Eden, that is the human state of thinking and being. It's what sin has done to us. That is part of human identity. That is what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in this scripture text today. Look how he puts it there, beginning in verse 1. He writes that we are dead In our transgressions and sins. That's a profound statement if you really let it sink in. Humanity in its post-fall state is dead. What do dead people do? Not much. You see, we'll come back to that in a minute. Let's see first, though, what Paul means by dead. Because let's face it, I mean, we're not dead. Uh, I'm not dead. Most of you aren't dead. Uh, All those people driving by on the road out there, they're not dead. The people Paul was writing this to, they weren't dead. Like we think of dead, anyway. Or he wouldn't have had any reason to write this because they wouldn't have been able to read it. Obviously, it's not a physical death that Paul is declaring. Although that does come eventually to us all, doesn't it? 
It does. That is part of it. But the far more significant part is the spiritual and relational death that he means here. Because of sin, you see, we are now separated from God. We said to God, we're going to do it our way. He said, okay. And that has separated us. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is good. We are not. We were made to be. But now because of that rebellion, we, humanity, we are no longer. We no longer have access to him who is our life, who made us, who sustains us. So we are as good as dead because of, Paul says, sin. And what's he mean by sin? You know, most people, like Cheryl said, when they think of sin, they think of these big things like murder and adultery and lying and stealing and and stuff like that. And sin is that, but it's a lot more than that. Sin is also this state of self-centeredness that we've been born into because of this rebellion against God back in Eden. That rejection of God and his way, that drive that we have to do and to get and to have what we want. It's the reason That one of the first words out of even little baby's mouth is mine. That snowball rolling down the hill has rolled over us. Just because we're human. We've gotten caught up in it. We've participated in it. And because of all that, we are separated from God. We are spiritually dead because of sin. Verse 3 there, we gratify the cravings of our flesh, we follow its desires and thoughts. That plays out in so many ways in human life. In our fallen state, we don't even realize we're doing it. We step on other people so that we can get what we want. And we reject another's good for the sake of our own. We ignore even God's will. God's good. In order to do as we please. Just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. You see that's why Paul says there in verse 3. We were by nature deserving of wrath. That is part of human, human identity as well. Dead to God. Spiritually dead because of sin. This preoccupation with self. This is important. You see. Because if you and I ever want to really understand who we are, how we work, what we struggle against as humans, why we do the things we do sometimes, why we react sometimes the way we react, why children need to be taught to share with playmates, but they never seem to have to be taught how to grab things away from playmates. You ever notice that? If we ever really want to understand who we are and how we work, then we have to own this business of being dead to sin as part of our identity. We've got to be honest with ourselves. We're never going to get very far with God or anybody else if we don't own this. We just go around and around in circles of destructive, self-centered behavior, just like most of our world is doing right now. Right now. That's why society is falling apart in so many ways. Right here. If everyone is only out for their own good, then nobody's out for the good of anybody else. And if nobody realizes that and owns it and tries to fix it, to do something about it, well, that's how you utterly destroy a family, a church, a nation. Not to mention our eternal souls. 
and try as we might, we couldn't fix it. Uh, Which is why God, the creator, the one who made us, he stepped in and he offered his own son's life, which was untainted by sin. God offered Jesus' life for your life and for my life. That's how much God loves us. That's how valuable we are to him. Paul says it there in verse 4. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, God's grace, that you have been saved. That's how much we're loved by God. That is our identity. But that is also how broken we are apart from Jesus. That is also our identity. Apart from Jesus, we are so broken, we are dead. And when you're dead, you can't do much of anything very well. And especially determine your own identity. Your own self-worth and value. Because dead people don't see correctly. And dead people don't feel correctly. Dead people don't perceive or respond or evaluate correctly. That's why the world is like it is. Because there's a lot of dead people trying to do things they can't do. Because they've not received Jesus. And so they're apart from God. And they're apart from his life and his wisdom and his discernment. And that's why it is so important to find our identity in what God says. And not according to our own suppositions or guesstimations or those of the world around us. When we try to determine our identity for ourselves, we wind up hurting ourselves and others because that identity that we create is based on something that is false. And it eventually actually becomes an idol. You see it all the time. Certainly outside the church, but it it sneaks into the body of Christ too. As people get confused and they make poor choices about identity. A wife finds her value in how her husband treats her. Her whole value as a person is based on how he treats her. A man finds his value in his career. A strong man finds his identity in his strength. A beautiful woman finds her identity in her beauty. A doctor finds his worth in the way others praise him for his talents. A politician or some other public figure takes her value in the praise of her constituents. A pastor finds meaning in the responses of the congregation after preaching. It's not that experiencing those things or enjoying those things are bad. But when we let them become our identity, over time they overtake our hearts. They replace the fact in our minds and our hearts that we are simply God's broken but loved and redeemed children. And then stuff happens and confusion begins. Because what happens to that wife when her husband has an affair? Or when the company has cutbacks and the job gets sliced? You get fired. What happens when strength and beauty fade away? What happens when the doctor can't save the patient? What happens when the political winds shift? Or all those positive responses to the sermons turn to critiques? (laughs) 
Those people's very identities are just yanked out from under them, and their sense of self and self-worth just evaporates, and that leads to just utter heartbreak and depression and mental breakdown and substance abuse and suicide. In spite of what our world says, we cannot determine our own identities in any way that brings health and wholeness to life. We are too broken to do that. We need God, and we need his word for that. Both his written word, this Bible right here, and we need Jesus, God's living word, in order to know who we really are. Will you be honest enough with yourself to admit that? If you have never done it before, will you admit today that you need the truth of the word of God and the grace and the life of Jesus in order to really know who you are? Counselor Lee Lewis writes this. He says, as the sufferings and trials of this life squeeze our hearts, what is often exposed is where we have found identity outside of who we are in Christ. It's true. Will you today let all of those temporary earthly senses of worth go so that your sense of worth and self is based only on the fact that you are a much-loved creation of a holy God who has saved you from brokenness and sin through the work of his son, Jesus. Realizing, being honest with ourselves and owning who God really is, who we really are, and what God has done for us in Jesus. That is the only place where real wholeness and peace with self are ever going to be found. God invites you. He wants us all to find that in him today. Would you pray with me? Father, it's easy to look out at our world and see all the different people and places that are trying, trying, trying to find value and worth in all of these different things. And we can look at them and say, yes, you need Jesus. But how about right here in your body? Lord, would you point out to us those places where we have set up little idols of worth and value? Would you take away anything from us, expose it, and then take away anything from us that is competing with you as our source of self and self-worth and value? Show us in these moments, Lord, or in the days to come. If you need to squeeze our hearts a little bit, we give you permission to do that. To identify anything in us that we see as our identity, other than who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord, give us the peace that comes from that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.